Good morning. Let me begin by reading our scripture for today from Psalm chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. It's a psalm written by King David during a time of some serious conflict and struggle in his life when his enemies were literally trying to kill him. It beautifully expresses his gratitude for the way God has been watching over his life. Let's hear God's word together. I give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. For you have upheld my right and my cause, sitting enthroned as the righteous judge. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken my enemies, for you have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne in judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Amen. Thanks be to God. I'm so glad you're here today with us in worship. I count it as such a privilege each week that we can come together around God's word and kind of begin to take baby steps together as we grow in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been coming to the New Providence Church or the New Community Campus in Garwood for any length of time, you know that we take that relationship with Christ very seriously. We are singularly intent on helping people experience a deeper connection with God through Christ. And we believe to to really go deeper in that relationship, you have to get beyond just kind of visiting God's house one hour per week. And if you're one of those who kind of comes late and wanders in 10 or 15 minutes after the service has started, it's even less than an hour per week. And if that's your habit, you're not going to get deeper in that relationship with Christ. You see, we believe that God wants for you to be able to experience his presence and his power and his peace on a daily basis. Not just one hour a week in a service of worship, but daily while you're at work, while you're at school, while you're making decisions about your life and your family, when you're interacting with people, when you're under pressure or in pain or or feeling discouraged or alone. That's when your relationship with Christ needs to be strong and, and vibrant and real, a source of strength and encouragement for your life. So that you know that Christ is your constant companion and your very best friend. The one who brings movement to your soul. And that's what our current message series is all about. The movement that God wants to make in your heart to renew you. Last week Mike Flavin got us started by talking about the movement from from being stressed to being blessed. And today we're looking at another movement that the Holy Spirit wants to make in our lives from grumbling to gratitude. From grumbling to gratitude. I think most of us know that we swim in a pretty negative ocean. And you have to be aware that like when you go to the beach, there's there's an undertow in our culture that that threatens to drag people down that can pull you underwater and out to sea before you even know what's happening. 
And Christians are not immune to this negative influence. Every week there's a, a new struggle, a new crisis, a new complication that makes us have to kind of dig our toes into the sand so that we don't get overwhelmed and washed away. The gospel tells us that we are not alone in this world. Jesus said that there is something in you that is superior to your circumstances. Something in you that is stronger than the negative pull of this world. Or should I say, a someone, his Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells his disciples that they will receive power through the Holy Spirit to effectively live for him, be his witnesses, be his ambassadors to this crazy, confused, and sin-filled world. That's the ideal, to live effectively through the power of the indwelling spirit, that spirit that gets let loose in your life. Maintaining you know, an inner serenity, an inner peace, while this world spins out of control. That's the ideal, but as we know, the ideal clashes with the real every single day. And rarely do we ever experience a, a sense of total victory over our circumstances. By the end of the week, I mean, you can feel like you've been put through a wood chipper. You're battered and bruised and, and bleeding, and you wonder, where did all that, that, that faith that I thought I had last week at church, where did it all go? You're not alone in that struggle, and that's why we are taking baby steps together. The natural response to the sin and the dysfunction of our world is to grumble, to grumble. To complain, to air our frustrations, our pains, and our problems. Oh, the traffic was miserable. My soup was cold. You won't believe what this idiot did at work today. My teacher is terrible. My boss is a jerk. My kids are driving me crazy. And on and on. We grumble about the weather, the news, the people around us, and a thousand little things that frustrate us and get in our way almost every single day. It's one thing to grumble about big events, big disappointments and traumas, but most grumbling is really about the little things, the, the mosquito-sized issues that just irritate you, the little things that kind of just get into your life like, like sand in your swimsuit, the things that bring out the worst in you. What it gets back to is this, life is not fair. Life is, is not fair. From the first time playing kickball in the schoolyard to that job that never materialized or that relationship that went sour, we have all experienced the reality that life is simply not fair. Bad things happen to good people and good things often happen to bad people. Life is not the way it's supposed to be. We have this inner sense that life ought to be different. We have this inner sense that, that things ought to work better. And the reason is that we have this longing in our hearts for perfection. In Ecclesiastes 3.11 it says that God has placed this longing for eternity in our hearts, a longing for the perfect world. C.S. Lewis writes that all human beings have this, this echo within of what the world once was. That perfect Eden, that perfect creation lost to us because of sin and human rebellion against God. We inherited that from our original parents. We lost that perfect world, but the longing is still there. 
a sense that we, we, we lost that perfect world. A sense that cars, you know, shouldn't get flat tires, that, that hard drives shouldn't crash, that things shouldn't get lost, that people shouldn't fight, that love shouldn't be so hard. People shouldn't get cancer or, or suffer pain. People shouldn't die. We have a longing for perfection, the kind of perfection that we will only experience in heaven with Christ. And so now we deal with an imperfect world filled with imperfect people, a world distorted by sin where things don't work, where relationships break down, where greed destroys, where loneliness can spread like an epidemic, where entropy happens, where things do fall apart, including the human body. And we feel the pain and the frustration of living in a world that's filled with the brokenness of sin every single day, and it hurts. The Apostle Paul says that the response to this broken world is groaning, groaning. Three times in Romans chapter 8, he uses that word Word And in Romans 8.22, he says creation itself feels this pain and is groaning to be released from its pangs. In verse 23, he says people are groaning inwardly, waiting for their full redemption in Christ. And then in verse 26, he says the Holy Spirit is groaning for us, sharing our pain as he intercedes for us before the Father. Nature, humanity, God himself all groaning under the weight and the burden of a world distorted by sin. But groaning is different than grumbling. Groaning turns into grumbling because we somehow think we're entitled to something better. That the universe owes me, I deserve it, it's due me. Somehow I should be exempt of the frustrations of living in a fallen world. And that's why we feel life isn't fair. I'm owed a a trouble-free, problem-free life. And when things don't go my way, I get angry about it. I am owed a long, pain-free life where everything goes smoothly and I hit every green light. And when I don't get it, grumbling is my privilege. But that's just the height of selfishness, which is ultimately the root of where sin came from in the first place. Putting ourselves at the center of the universe and uh, usurping God's place. Grumbling begins pretty early in life. When you're little and you fuss and you grumble and you complain, maybe you get some sympathy, you get some attention, maybe you get what you want. It might even be cute when you're three or four. It's not so cute when you're 24 or 44 or 64, when it becomes a habit, because eventually people tire of listening to our grumbling, but that doesn't stop us from doing it. The Bible says that gratitude is the antidote for grumbling. Throughout Scripture, gratitude and thanksgiving are these positive character qualities that God desires for his people as a means of coping with this sin-filled, dysfunctional world. In fact, grumbling is always seen as an affront to God himself, always seen as an insult to God. Go back to the Old Testament and read Numbers 14 and 16 where it tells the story of the people of Israel freshly freed from slavery 
in Egypt on their way to the promised land, and all they can do is grumble. Listen to Numbers 14, 2 through 4. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If we only had died in Egypt, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it have been better just to go back to Egypt? All they could do was grumble. It was so bad, God canceled their entrance visa into the promised land. And that whole generation died in the desert because grumbling had so soured their faith in Yahweh. In Romans 1.21, the Apostle Paul describes the, the downward descent of humanity in rebellion against God this way. Listen. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. A lack of gratitude is at the root of of cultural and moral decay. Read Romans 1 and tell me if we are not exactly in the middle of the same issues as ancient Rome. And in contrast, King David says, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart, while people are trying to. To kill him. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. It's Colossians 3.15. Over and over again, the Bible affirms that gratitude and thankfulness is the mark of a spirit-filled life. Spirit-filled life. But not but biblical gratitude is not. Some kind of Susie Sunshine who, you know, just tells everybody to praise the Lord all the time. Biblical gratitude is not some smiley face that, sticker that we put over the painful things in our lives. Gratitude is not a, a phony pep talk given to a hurting person, which is usually the very last thing they really need to hear. We should never deny the reality of pain or deny the sense of struggle that we do experience in life, because that kind of gratitude is just too shallow. Biblical gratitude is a lot tougher than that. Real gratitude means acknowledging, hey, you know, we have got a mess on our hands. This really hurts. This is really painful. And I think too many Christians have thought that gratitude and and thanksgiving means pretending that things really aren't as bad as they are. To me, that's like like putting cake frosting on a cow patty. I mean, it might make it look better, but it still stinks, and there are plenty of things in life that just stink. And so that kind of gratitude is phony, and people with a false sense of gratitude often experience a terrible collapse of their faith when reality finally hits home. When you're really going through the valley of the shadow, simplistic platitudes are not much help. Gratitude is not saying that everything is okay or that everything is getting better. Gratitude is recognizing that that this world, for all its faults, is a big world filled with many good things that can be savored and enjoyed even while other things are not going as we would like. Gratitude is what enables people to get through tough times a little bruised but not bitter. Gratitude allows a person to be challenged by their problems but but not overwhelmed by them. Gratitude moves you away from that that dark mood that's kind of creeping over your soul. 
Gratitude is what helps you from blowing your, your problems way out of proportion. It's where you say, you know, I'll never get out of this mess. Gratitude is born instead when we're able to say thank you for what we have left rather than becoming bitter over what we've lost. Gratitude comes when we leave the impossible up to God and we just get busy with the possible. Gratitude begins as a choice that we consciously make in response to our circumstances, a choice that then becomes a habit that then becomes a way of life. You have to practice gratitude until it becomes a part of you. Like a muscle, it grows through use. When, when bad things happen, and they will, you have to consciously look for something, maybe something incredibly small, but something for which you can be truly thankful. During World War II, Corey Ten Boom and her family in Holland were caught helping Jewish people escape from Nazi-controlled Europe, and they were sent to the concentration camps. In her autobiography, The Hiding Place, she writes this, Conditions in our barrack in the concentration camp at Ravensbrück were terrible. When I first arrived, I told my sister Betsy, I could not bear the lice that lived in our filthy blankets and mattresses. And she replied, you must thank God for everything, even the lice. Betsy was right. Because of the bugs which infested our barracks, the women guards and officers kept their distance. And we were able to hold our Bible studies without fear. God has use for the vermin, after all. Sometimes what we see as a curse one day becomes a blessing the next day. How much more simple it would be if we would learn to thank God for everything instead of using our own judgment. That's the tough kind of gratitude that we need to model when we face our problems and setbacks because gratitude brings all kinds of good things into our lives. You know, a whole lot of research has been done just on the physiological benefits of, uh, of positive emotions like gratitude. Grateful people live an average of 10 years longer than, than grumblers because it decreases your, your risk of heart attack and stroke. You carry less stress. Grateful people are, are more likely to succeed in their careers because nobody wants to work with a grump. Same thing is true with marriage. Gratitude is, is actually a natural antidepressant. Grateful people have more friends than grumblers. Athletes who focus on positive emotions like gratitude actually perform better than those who don't. And best of all, gratitude leads to joy. To joy. The best byproduct of gratitude is joy. King David wrote this, I give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. Gratitude releases joy. It releases rejoicing in the heart. A pastor friend of mine shared this with me this week, that Bible translators had finally finished uh, the very first translation of the Bible into the Eskimo language of the Inuit people who live up above the Arctic Circle. It was a tough job, took a lot of years, because so many words in the Bible just don't match up with the Inuit language. I mean, there are no words for, for goat or sheep or, 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 or camel and many, many more words. They just don't know what those things are. So they had to get pretty creative in how to express what the Bible was saying. 
they translated the word shepherd as, as someone who watches over the dog sled team. That makes sense if you think about it. But then they were really stumped uh, because the Inuit language doesn't have a word for joy or rejoicing. So they really had to study Eskimo life and to come up with something to use. And they discovered that one of the most joyful events in Eskimo family life was when the sled dogs are fed in the evening. The dogs are barking and yelping. They're running around, wagging the tails. The little children are, are kind of watching and they're kind of squealing with delight at the excitement. The neighbors come out. The feeding of the dogs is sort of a, a community event. So the translators use the word for the feeding of the dogs as their word for joy. So if you were to take a passage like John twenty twenty that reads, when the disciples saw Jesus They were filled with joy. Literally, when you translate it, it became when the disciples saw Jesus, they wagged their tails. I like that. Gratitude leads to joy. That's what God wants for you. God's abundance flows into your life when gratitude can flow out of your heart. So let me leave you with a challenge. Before you get out of bed tomorrow morning, thank God for ten things. Thank God for 10 things. If you can't think of 10 things to thank God for, don't get out of bed because it's going to be a really bad day. Thursday was sort of a a tough day for me. It didn't start off too good. I had a couple of disappointing things happen, and so my frustration level was pretty high, and I was supposed to be writing this message about gratitude. You know, it's hard when those gears don't mesh when you're in the middle of something kind of tense. So I had to practice what I preach I knew that I was going to be asking you to do this list of, of 10 things that you're grateful for. And then if I asked you to do that, I would have to do it too. So Friday morning, I laid in bed and I mentally ticked off my 10 things. One, I'm breathing and I'm conscious. Because the alternatives to that are either I'm dead or I'm in a coma. That's kind of a base level kind of gratitude that you can begin with. Two, I'm waking up in a warm bed with a roof over my head and heat in my house. You know, that's normally something that that I would take for granted, but there are a lot of people in this world sleeping in shelters or sleeping on the streets or sleeping in the cold who don't have a a safe shelter of a home. Three, when I get up, I know there's going to be hot water for a shower and clean water to drink. Well, there are about 780 million people in the world who don't have access to clean water when they get up in the morning. Another 3.4 million people die every year because of water, sanitation, and hygiene-related diseases. Four, I knew I had food to eat. I had people who would love me. I had work that was meaningful and, and so on. I won't go through my whole list, but you see what I mean. What's your list? What's your gratitude list? Do it tomorrow morning. Or maybe tonight before you go to bed, especially if you have a hard time sleeping, especially if you take a lot of worries to bed with you at night. Practice gratitude. Make it a habit, a spiritual discipline to consciously say thank you to God. Wag your tail a little and see if that doesn't make a real difference in the way that you live your life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we need a miracle of your Holy Spirit to be grateful in the midst of our problems today and this week. 
I know you care for us deeply. And so be our source of strength. Help us to rise above the negative power and sin and the dysfunction of this world, big and small. Lord, thank you that you died for us and live for us and make us able to live for you. Through Jesus Christ, amen.